Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you are interested in all that Park Hills is doing, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app is the place to go. that uh, normally Chris when you when you come into the office you're you know you're just ready to go and <laughs> why, and, are you, why are you gonna throw me under the bus here well I mean so uh, it, it's it's worth noting depending when when you might be tuning into this that this is the uh, 31st day of March of 2022 and uh, to our surprise here in Freeport Illinois we woke, woke up to see uh white stuff all yeah. over all over the ground and yeah. this was not the manna from heaven this was just pure snow <laughs> nice tie in i like that yeah and um although i did say what is it yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely got what is it what is it uh and why is it here mm-hmm. and when will it leave um but you know it, it it seemed to take the spring from your step this morning. You took were the not, spring from everyone's everything. Yeah, it, and you were not quite as lively as as usual, and I, and uh, seemed to have even some mumblings about planning a church in uh, Arizona. Yeah, I'm uh, moderately mad today. I, I'm telling the <laughs> Lord to let my anger. He needs to take it from me because I normally I'm good about surrendering my emotions to Him. You know, I don't know if you do this, but I often think how am I feeling? And then I just sit, spend time with the Lord. So whether that's, yeah. I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling, you know, upset about something or I'm feeling concerned or excited. I just put all that in before the Lord and say, Hey, if this is right, you know, let me hang on to it today. I'm just saying, take it from me. Take my anger. I, I think tired of it. I think blotted out maybe was what you were yeah, thinking. That'd be great. Yeah. You know. I want it to be blotted out for my memory for generation to generation. Speaking of blotting out, it, it might be a good lead into uh, Exodus 18 yeah. and what we're going to, or 17, what we're going to talk about today. And, uh, interesting chapter there for, for sure. I mean, you know, water from the rock and, and, uh, the defeat of the Amalekites. But I think what's interesting here, uh, what we find toward the end of the chapter is the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now, interesting, um, interesting things going on there. First of all, I will blot out the memory, but write this down. Um, so, right. So that, that kind of makes you go what's going on there. And, and, uh, there's a utterly blot out the memory of someone of a people group and, you know, and it's kind of intense, isn't it? Very. There, there are a number of passages like this in the old Testament that throw people for a loop. There's another one in Malachi, for example, of, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. hated. Yeah. And you start to go, what is going on here? What is God saying? It's interesting that Amalek is actually the grandson of Esau. So Esau's son had a group of sons. One of them was named Amalek. And what the Amalekites were known for, I don't know if people know this, was they attack the back end of a procession. So the weak stragglers. Yes. So what you typically do when you're marching in order, like you're walking through the desert or whatever, you put a lot of your strongest people up front to sort of lead the charge. You might put a couple near the back just to sort of, you know, prod on the slower ones. But 
the idea was what the Amalekites would do is they would start with the women and the children and the, and the grandmas and the grandpas way at the back of the pack, and they would pick off your people. So imagine you're wandering through the desert. You already have nothing. You're trying to take care of your animals. You know, you just complain that you don't have any water. You don't have any food. So God's dropping manna on your lap every morning, and he's dropping, you know, water out of the rocks and all this crazy stuff's going on. And then all of a sudden, here comes this warlike tribe of crazy people yeah. riding down, and they just start killing off grandma and grandpa. And the people in front of go, are there fewer people following us yeah, than totally. there used to be? Yeah. Did you hear screaming? <laughs> is there screaming back there? I, that's not funny. I'm not it, it's not that. funny, but it is kind of funny. So the Amalekites are just brutal, bad, bad people. So when we start to get into this, first off, I just want to say, when Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, that we're not talking here about a gentle little, this isn't a schoolyard bully coming along being like, Hey, you're, you're chubby or something. This is way bigger than that. They started something. I also want people to know that there are so many, he started laughing and that just totally threw me off. It was great. Uh, but when you, when you I also just, think about like, it, I like the chubby, chubby comment. <laughs> a certain former pastor that's popping in my head. Uh, when you, <laughs> when you talk about Amalek and you talk about them picking off the Israelites and kind of going after them a little bit, you need to understand even though the Old Testament has a reputation for being quite warlike, most of the time it's the Israelites just defending themselves. Yeah. And I, and, and this is one of those look this one of those moments. And for God to allow the Israelites to start to push back against Amalek, and then eventually to wipe them out, they, Amalek just disappears at some point. Shortly after, probably one of the Samuel's, we think the nation of Amalek is never mentioned again. So whether they get brought into another people group or whether they, they are officially wiped out, the Lord is true to his promise there. However, if you're true to your promise of wiping them out, it's strange to say, I'm going to wipe out their memory. By the way, write this down. Yeah, write this down so we don't forget. It seems ironic. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's a little bit confusing there. And, and I think, again, whenever we go through the Old Testament, I think you, you alluded to it a few minutes ago too. It's like, it almost seems like ethnic cleansing, go into Canaan and wipe everybody sure. out and all that sort of thing. And, and I think it's important to, first of all, go back and say, God is God. He's going to do what he's going to do. He understands. Um, but also to, to realize that there, there was room for people to, to surrender to the faith, you know, yes. and, and to, to join in. So in that regard, it's not so much ethnic as it is a, a judgment on immorality and a judgment on sin and, and it's God's, ultimately God's territory, and he's going to make the call. Totally. And God brings a number of people from those people groups into his family. Well, even think of Rahab and, his, sure. and her family, you know. Rahab, Ruth, yeah. you know, you start running through the list, Tamar, there, there's a number of individuals who are clearly from outside the tribe of Israel who get brought into the family of faith and not just the family of faith, but they get brought into the lineage yeah. of the future king. Which is so beautiful. So you need to start noticing that while the Bible sometimes gets a bad rap, if you really read it closely and spend time with it, it's saying things and then those things are being accomplished in a way that you're going, oh, I can I can live with that. Even the, you will wipe out all the Canaanites, what Joshua's representation of what that is, is way different than what we think it was. And so by the end of Joshua, Joshua says, hey, it's done. We've, we've done it. But what he specifically says is we've wiped out all of the, the Anakites, the, these large peoples that shouldn't exist. And so Joshua, in some sense, is saying, I've done the job I needed to do, which was wipe the land out of this curse, this thing that's happening that shouldn't be happening. He's also not fully done because later on, David has to kill a giant with a stone. Yeah. 
So you start to notice, even within the text, at first glance, some, again, scholars or others or critics would say, well, the text isn't even telling the truth here because look at what's happening. There's other ways to read it. And if you spend time just really digging, you're going, oh, there's actually a way bigger meta narrative, a bigger story that's being told. And while Amalek is eventually blotted out, for God to say, write this as a memorial and recite it in the ears of Joshua, I will utterly blot them out as a memory. You're going, well, now they're in my memory. I would have never known the name if you hadn't written it it down. Well, I think clearly what God's saying there is the the people of Amalek are going to disappear. Not that you will never know about them because in some sense, God wants you to know I have taken care of you. Remember what I've done for you. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and back to that, but Esau, I have hated the, the moment Jacob and Esau were born and the, the prophetic words were given. Esau has a decision to make there of, will I accept God's goodness, even though I'm not going to receive the blessing I would like to receive. And will I submit to, to God and ultimately, you know, to his authority and his will and love him, even though he's not giving me what I want that's the promise of, all throughout scripture. People have that opportunity. They just don't do it. And they choose to be warlike and angry instead. And Amalek is really the re- recipient of that. So in some sense, you're going, all right, well, God's just doing what he says he's going to do. And he's taking care of his people. And the people who are angry about that, pushing back against God's very redemptive plan for all of, not only just Israel, but all of the world. How can you go against that? And so you yeah. almost deserve judgment at that point, right? You deserve to be blotted out if you're going to just fight against it. Yeah, fighting against God just doesn't work, does it? It never does. <laughs> no. Cool chapter. I mean, certainly the, you know, Moses' hands being held up, you know, you can't can't just skim over that. And I know you addressed that beautifully in the in the sermon. And just it's just a wonderful reminder that it has to be in God and it has to be about his power and him doing things for mm-hmm. these kind of things to happen. So cool. It is, but it also... I think 17 points forward in the rest of the, of the Pentateuch or the Torah, these five books of Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Exodus 17 points toward a question and a promise that's going to keep being brought up to us throughout Numbers specifically. The people of God are going to wonder if God's on their side and God is going to prove to them that he is by providing in times of need. And we are in a time, as we, I think we're always going to be in a time where we know of the needs around us. One of the beauties of the internet is that we are all way more connected than we've ever been. So, you know, a few years ago, I remember watching what was happening in Syria, thinking, this is crazy. I can't believe this is happening in today's age, you know, or Bosnia when I was growing up, or you, you look at all these things. Well, now we're in the midst of, of another crisis in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and we're, I don't know about you, but I'm watching people run and you know, we have over 3 million refugees, three, yeah, at this point, over three and a half million refugees minimum. Like that's just the ones they've counted, let alone the ones who are still crossing the border trying to get out of Ukraine. In a nation of 40 million people, at least 4 million of them are at least moving around and up to 10 million have certainly moved around even if within the country. Yeah. Imagine? So imagine if a quarter of the country just like gets up and moves, you know, if, if a war was starting in New York and all of a sudden in our case, it would be similar to 28 million people picking up off the East coast and moving toward the Midwest just to get to safety. That's, that's insane. And it starts to make you think, God, what are you going to do to provide? And so we have some really cool stories of provision, one yeah. specifically that you want to share. I love how these 
tough situations can allow for God to just show himself and, and for his people to get involved. The EFCA newsletter just came out and um, it's so cool. It starts out with a quote from Edward Koch. It says, the home to everyone is to him his castle and fortress, as well as, as well as for his defense against injury and violence and for his repose. Great article. Imagine sitting in a class one week and flying to renovate a castle the next. This is what happened to Dan Laliberti, a psychology student in the dual degree program at TIU of Florida. One of our churches, uh, one of our church's pastor, formerly pastors, formerly worked in Europe, and he knew someone who had an old castle in Germany and was willing to lease it to our church to house refugees. So they sent over a crew of four of us to see what what needs uh, to be done. Dan explained, there were twenty three Ukrainian refugees already staying in the castle when Dan and the team arrived. Uh, uh, and that number more than doubled by the time they left a few days later. Pe- people kept on coming, women and children, Dan said. We also sent a team to the border of Poland to help Ukrainian people get transportation from there to the castle in Germany. It was a busy tri- trip without much sleep for Dan and the team. We hit the ground running, doing demolition at the castle, tearing out rooms, because we were hoping to house 60 to 70 people there. As soon as we arrived, they handed me a chipping hammer to start working on the decay on the outside of the castle, Dan said. Then something amazing happened. I love this. The whole German town started hearing about the castles that the American church was renovating to help refugees. People started bringing us things, clothes, toys, beds. Every day, local Germans were showing up to help. One person just came bringing food and euros. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Uh, Just... I mean, this, there's more to that story, but what a, what a picture of going, you know, okay, yeah, there's a horrible crisis going on in the world, and we can get all sideways about Putin and how evil he is or what, what the U.S. is supposed to be doing or whatever. Just, you know, all these critiques. But instead, no, let's just go be the solution. Let's go be Christ to these people. Let's, let's give of what we have and... um I think it was just so cool just a few weeks ago, just the, the amount of money that just came in here from, from Park Hills to go toward you, Ukrainian uh, relief efforts. Uh, it's just being Christ. And, how, you know, yeah, it's cool to send some money, but how much even cooler to even go over there and, and be hands-on and, and love cool. and care for these people and just the, pe- the opportunities that, that this article even brings out of people just being able to be there and be a blessing to them. Which is really the fulfillment of, so much of the meta narrative of scripture. It begins with God creating the planet and giving humans responsibility over the planet. Yeah. We failed miserably at it, but God promises that he's going to redeem it someday and give us a chance to sort of set this thing straight. Well, when we're looking in Exodus 16 and 17 and we see God providing manna or God yeah. providing water in supernatural ways, sometimes I think today we wish that we could see those same things, don't we? You yeah. know, you want to go, oh man, God just provide supernaturally here. He is providing supernaturally. Yeah. He is doing so by his servants. And so for us to send money or to send some type of, you know, so many of my church friends right now are packing meals or sending over 
you know, toiletries and basic things to Ukraine. And then you've got individuals like this just buying a castle and setting it up and in the yeah. German town, you know, deciding, yeah, we're going to, we're going to plug into this thing and we're going to do this together. God's people are constantly at work, even in the midst of the darkest of days, which shows me God is still supernaturally doing what he wants to do, yeah. but he is doing it through his humans, which he wanted to do from the very beginning of the story. And so in some sense, we, we kind of miss this with Christ through Christ. We our, our redemption has led us to be the agents of God's redemption that we were meant to be. So we're now actively pursuing him and, and showing people his kingdom here on earth. With that said, we're not building his kingdom here on earth. That will happen one day, right? One day God will officially just end this thing. But in the meantime, right now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to be involved. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to be doing things to serve his purposes. Yeah. And and, you know, when, when we're here and we have all that we need, we're going, Oh God, show us miracles. You know, it's, it, it, it's really just, I want a sign for the sake of a sign. It's like, Mm -hmm. you're so well provided for, but here, let me show you, let me show you a miracle where it's actually needed and where it can, it can change lives, change hearts and lives. And what a cool thing. Our God is just the best. 